Welcome to Cambodia Curiosity, a series of podcasts discussing anything interesting out of Cambodia, the Kingdom of Wonder. This podcast is aimed at those who might already have a passing knowledge on Cambodia and its fascinating culture. In the last episode, we took an alternative look at COVID-19 in Cambodia. This episode, we're going to discuss retail in the Kingdom of Wonder and try to get to the bottom of what options are available. And before we get into that, I thought I'd just mention uh, things have changed in Cambodia a little bit regarding COVID-19 since we published our previous episode, our last episode. Uh, there's something going on there now called the February 20th outbreak. Um, and I'm pretty sure they had no locally transmitted um, related death before. And now I think they're up to 18 deaths and their rolling seven day average is something like 60 to 70 cases per day so things have changed since we did our last podcast it's quite surprising that it's taken this long for you know there to be official statistics it's not clear whether or not there was um a, a significant number of cases in the country but there's there's not been any um press to that effect it was an escapee a quarantine escapee who then tested positive sorry a quarantine a quarantining person um, tested positive and they escaped their their quarantine. That's what caused it. Okay, well, props to Cambodia for not having so many cases until uh, somebody broke the rules, I guess. Exactly. Anyway, in Cambodia, if you were looking for a certain product, such as a fridge or phone, what would be your first port of call? For me, I would head to the part of town that sells fridges or phones. Um, That seems weird, but it is true. In Cambodia and in other countries in Southeast Asia, you have specific areas or streets which are known for purchasing a certain type of item. some things I'm still unsure about, like whether A, someone who lives on a street overloaded with phone shops then opens a phone shop to take some of the business, or whether B, someone who wants to run a phone shop goes to rent somewhere on that street in order to maximize their business. I'd be interested to find out. But just to explain this, um, I remember once stumbling across a small number of blocks in Phnom Penh where there were dozens of motorcycle dealerships. I remember almost uh, getting lost um, in a part of Bangkok that sold almost exclusively used auto parts Um, and it was just you know rows and rows and rows of blocks of shops just selling you know big big and small rusty items you know um, and also, um, I'm aware that there are several streets in the town of Siem Reap, and actually probably every other town in Cambodia, that are absolutely lined with mobile phone shops, you know, whether it's for new phones, used phones, repairs, phone accessories. Um, it just seems fairly different to how uh, 
to how we would do things in the West. Yeah, on the typical UK high street, um, if there are multiple uh, shops selling the same type of product, you wouldn't find them next to each other. They'd be sort of distributed throughout the street um, quite evenly. So this is quite untypical for uh, the West, I think. And yeah, are there high streets like, like in the West? It sounds like it doesn't quite work that way. Not really, no. It, it's, I'd say there are busy streets, but I wouldn't say that any town um, has something that would be a high street for shopping. Not at all. You know, it might be a high street that goes, you know, it might be a main street that goes through one small town and you've got a mixture of, you know, uh, uh, fuel stations, massage shops, restaurants, uh, a few shops here and there. But there's no such thing as a shopping high street, or I think in America, a main street. Um, no, nothing so, like it. So what would entice you in to a particular shop? I mean, it, in principle, it might be quite useful to have all these shops next to each other because you can compare the prices and get the best uh, offer without traveling very far throughout the town. But uh, is there a big difference in the product offerings or the prices in these shops? Well, I guess it could drive down prices, but then it could also create a cartel or something like that, if that's the right term. But um, but yeah, I find that you do get slightly different in each shop. I don't find that every single shop is the same. Um, and that's simply because if we're talking about, um, well, yeah, motorcycles, phones, fridges, appliances, a lot of them will have, will have uh, used and second-hand appliances as well. So um, I guess each shop is is different but it just depends you know it might be it might be you know uncle um uncle socks friend's shop that we go to because he gives us a good price okay when i saw a street like this um i was wondering what what reason there was for having these shops next to each other and imagine that they probably do fix prices to some extent because You'd imagine that unless there was incredibly high demand and it didn't seem that way because all of this, the shops had like full inventory of products on display, um, that basically they would drive each other out of business if they, you know, were really competing to that level. Yeah, I, well, this is where it confuses me. I don't, I don't know. And I haven't spoken to anyone about this. This is just uh, my own observations. But I really want to know how it how it starts off. How you know? I want to know whether all neighbours decide to to chip in and open the same business as as the guy next door, or whether everyone migrates to a street because it's becoming a, a street that sells a certain item. But yeah, it's just a, it reminds me reminds me a bit of markets how you would have areas of markets selling different products um, but then there would be sort of like haggling and people trying to uh, invite you into their market stall with an offer of cheaper than next door um, so maybe it's that kind of mentality that's uh, gone to a bigger scale yeah yeah no I, it's hard to tell I know that I would rock up 
late afternoon, let's say, to um, to buy a microwave, and I think it'll be the store um, that's just banging the music out on the big speakers. I would walk into that one because at least I'm making an effort. Yeah, that's true. They have to compete. <laughs> yeah, um, to get everyone's attention on that street. But when we're not on uh, the equivalent of a specific product, High Street malls have only sorry malls malls. I'm not quite used to saying that. We would say shopping centres, but um, shopping malls have only really just arrived in. Cambodia. Um, it was back around 2008, I think, I might not be right, that the first small shopping malls cropped up in Phnom Penh and in Siem Reap. Um, the largest mall for a while was the Soria Mall in Phnom Penh. Uh, it's still there, it's located opposite Central Market. But fairly quickly, a lot of space inside these malls um, quickly became available for small vendors, a bit like what you'd see in a market. It looked back then as if Cambodia wasn't quite ready for a full shopping mall experience, at least how we'd expect it from, uh, from a Western perspective. But 10 years later, and the capital city Phnom Penh has woken up, and it's hot on the heels now of neighbouring capital city, Bangkok, with malls rising up all over the place. So there's a Japanese company called Aeon, and they are building their third supersized mall in Phnom Penh as we speak. And the eye-catching honeycomb facade of Phnom Penh Mega Mall already stands tall and proud on Russian Federation Boulevard. That's not not too far from uh, from Central Market either, really. Um, and that will be ready to open once a very bitter legal battle has settled between two companies involved. But it it seems that at least uh, in the main urban centres of Cambodia, the locals are lapping up the opportunity to experience more high end shopping now. Um, so. My recollection is that um, the mall feels quite different and um, kind of detached from, say, the rest of Phnom Penh. Um, for instance, it really feels like you're you're living in like just a, a slice of um, a Western shopping experience. But also, there didn't seem to be many Cambodians in the shops or some browsing but it still felt like a bit of a ghost mall um, and and the products on offer didn't really match what was available elsewhere you know you had high-end electronics um, lots of sort of novelty kind of stores just as you'd expect in the west but there didn't seem to be a big market for them so I'm just wondering how popular these are well it's it was even fairly different to the experience that you get in Bangkok as well, because with the big malls in in Bangkok, there's actually quite a few designer stores. I mean, I remember, I remember walking around malls and it, it, 
it wasn't really worth me going into any of the shops. I didn't have the money to buy anything in them. Um, and I think what Cambodia is lacking at the moment are large designer brands. They still really have to go elsewhere for that. Um, but in terms of yeah, the quality of uh, well, the quality of the product range, I'd say it's still fairly slim. There has always been an issue with suppliers um, uh, going into Cambodia. They just don't have the product range that you'd have elsewhere, even in Thailand. But um, but no, yeah, like despite uh, investors plowing ahead, I guess there is a reason to remain slightly skeptical. Um, the, the initial problem with the first Aeon Mall was that despite the high footfall, you couldn't really call all the visitors as, um, as shoppers. So little was being sold, um, but there was a lot of selfies being taken. And I guess also just how incredibly hot and humid it is outside in Cambodia. It's kind of nice to walk through those doors and go straight into, uh, you know, a nice cool, a cool and dry 16 degrees. But for a while, it has felt like the only business profiting in each mall is the ice cream parlor, really. Um, yeah. Okay. And how do they stay open? Um, because there are many like luxury goods on sale. Um, and I'm just wondering, because I didn't really see anyone taking an interest or buying them. Well, as I said, like, once a mall matures a little, it does seem to be the case that uh, more and more space is allocated to smaller sellers. Um, so, for example, let's say that um, let's say that there's a hundred square meters, and that was one store that would be broken up into say five times twenty square meters just for small vendors. You know, you could even fit you know um, someone with a little beauty shop you know into into twenty square meters. You know, a mirror and two chairs and whatever and and so it does seem to end up um, going back towards the market mentality. But um, it's been a while since I've been into any Aeon uh, mall. So, yeah, and there are new malls uh, coming up all over. Um, uh, there's a couple smaller ones now coming up in, in Siem Rip, additional ones. Uh, so, yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. Um, so what will the future be for sterile air-conditioned shopping malls in Cambodia cities? Um, the answer, I think, really, is that the economy is growing by little under about 10% a year, and it has been for a while. And okay, that might not be equal growth across the board, but I still feel like it's enough um, uh, to believe that at some point in the future, Shopping malls are going to be very successful, just like in Bangkok, in Thailand. It's early days at the moment, and I think that Cambodia is only at the beginning of its shopping mall journey, whereas we are kind of beginning, well, we're seeing the beginning of the end now, I think, for shopping malls uh, where we are.
Yeah, I think that obviously high street retail is uh, really suffering in the pandemic. So uh, it's going to be very hard to uh, recover from that, especially if we're stuck in, you know, limited um, conditions. So maybe you can't necessarily fill a store with uh, shoppers like you previously could. And therefore everyone's online and Amazon's um, or Bezos is lining his pockets. So I guess the success of a, a mall that offers these high quality goods and then can charge a lot of rent is the disposable income of Cambodians. So as there are more what would be considered sort of middle class uh, in terms of the West or developing Chinese economies, then um, there'll be the opportunity for, you know, all these products to have a real um, target audience in, in the places these malls are opening and them not sort of decreasing in in offering those types of products just due to the the market forces around them and ending up looking like, you know, the, the shops outside, but just with air conditioning and um, nice scenery. Well, I think um, you mentioned disposable income, and I think that really what it's going to be like I said just before I, I think it's I really think um, disposable income is just starting to slip in now I remember when I first uh, well when I first actually visited Cambodia you really got the feeling that there was very little disposable income for most people um, and whilst uh, in 2021 a lot of people are still struggling. I do feel like there has been a bit of a rise of a middle class in urban areas at least. And I think disposable income is on the rise. And uh, there's also a kind of a super, a super upper class, um, especially in Phnom Penh. And I'm kind of surprised why we, why we aren't seeing big brands um, when I say big brands, I mean like a, you know, a Nike, a Nike or Nike store, um, an Adidas store, uh, you know, official stores, because we're starting to see, you know, uh, is it Bentley, I think, a Bentley uh, dealership now in Phnom Penh, you've got a BMW dealership um, and some other crazy uh, um, high-end uh, car dealership as well but so you are starting to see something to cater for the kind of the super high class and I just think they need that kind of you know they need the Burberry store they need the uh, they need the Gucci store they need the the Fendi store uh, that's but that will that will come that'll yeah come, I, think I think Bentley is a good um a good sort of idea for for targeting the the sort of ultra wealthy um, ultra wealthy by Cambodian standards but also wealthy by uh, average person standards certainly in Western countries because you know you only have to sell a couple of Bentleys to this audience and then you've made the um, made enough profit on the cost of having the infrastructure within the country and, and the sh running the store um, but for other brands that aren't quite so luxurious or significant um, investments in purchasing their products, then it might be more difficult because the jobs are starting to get created 
for this kind of like middle class idea. Um, but then at the same time, there's a lot of, let's say, um, workforce exploitation with low quality, um, low standards for um, the, the particular sort of factories and, and, and other industries. And a low minimum wage as well. Yeah, so, you know, it, it may be that people's quality of life might improve because of that um, due to having, like, you know, more jobs available and consistent employment um, rather than just, you know, living off the land so much and not sort of being involved in sort of a wider economy, you know, working for these bigger companies. Um, but as long as there isn't a lot of sort of mid-level positions where you're not the person who owns the factory you, but you're also not the person on the on the f factory floor um, that is where I think um, these stores will have a real audience compared to now where I think that's just sort of starting out to, to have these companies in Phnom Penh and the larger cities providing you know significant numbers of jobs for more like a service sector economy that we have in Western countries, because that's kind of the the missing component at the moment, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I would agree with all of them. I think you've gone a little deeper than I've ever thought about it, really. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. But moving on, um, I guess seeing as uh, we can't get our our LV and our Gucci uh, in store in Cambodia um, online we could uh, we could find it but online retail has been very very slow to reach the mainstream uh, kind of level in Cambodia um, that is not it's not ultra surprising given that the country does always seem to be a couple years behind those um, at the forefront of online use. Even now, Amazon itself uh, still does not deliver to Cambodia like it does to other countries. Until recently, if you wanted to use Amazon from Cambodia, you had to have done it through an agent. However, currently, and I think this is right, Amazon do deliver now to certain areas, but only using DHL, and I think it's a lot more uh, painful than the experience we would, uh, we would get elsewhere. Um, locals have really utilized social media though, for, for small retail. So in true Cambodian kind of entrepreneurship, um, because there's no, you know, there's no, I guess, kind of online infrastructure there, um, they've just gone ahead and used what they've got in front of them. Um, so you really would be hard pressed to meet a young adult Cambodian who doesn't run a small online store on Facebook or Instagram, or at least one of their family members, you know, in their extended family. And what types of products are sold in these stores? Is it a bit like Etsy? It's got a no, no, it's not really. <laughs> it's it's uh, because I would call Etsy. I don't I don't know whether anyone else would use this term, but I would call Etsy kind of online in infrastructure for it. Like 
Um, there isn't really anything like that. It's uh, you would um, you would open up a Facebook page, maybe just a profile, or maybe you just use your own existing personal profile, and you would just start posting pictures of products with a small description and a price, and eventually uh, someone bites and more people bite, and then you just start um, you just start selling to whoever is buying well to whoever is uh, showing interest on your Facebook and then you kind of go into a private conversation and, and you know, discuss it and what products it, it kind of started off um, as like you know shampoos makeup clothes and often creams as well You'd see, you'd see fairly strange suspects before and after pictures of, you know, this, you know, you know cream that, cream that just, uh, uh, cream that would make your skin a lot whiter, cream that would vanish acne, but maybe that's something for a, a later episode, but it's just, you know, small, small items that you can buy in bulk from, uh, from another country. A neighboring country um, and then sell them for a small profit on each item um, but you get young women um, going off to Thailand on a mission to bring back you know a pallet of clothing or you know huge big bags of clothing back to Cambodia which they would these days sell online and I guess the good thing is that um, at the market you've got to pay a fee but uh, on Facebook, you can kind of, you know, avoid paying any fee. There's no, there's no overheads um, at all, really. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can see why that's preferable to running a market stall, definitely. Um, and because online transaction giants like PayPal are only really just now sorting out their operations in Cambodia, so like I remember. Um, when I lived in Cambodia, for instance, there was just, you know, I couldn't, if, I, if I'm not wrong, I couldn't even log into my PayPal. Um, it was, it just seemed really difficult. But yeah, a lot of uh, transactions are completed using a local service called Wing. And I might be slightly out, out of touch here. This was what was happening a couple of years ago. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where we are now. Um, but yeah, Wing was a nice uh, local Cambodian um, enterprise and it worked just like Western Union and it was, it was just like a money transfer service but it worked, it worked well for transactions for these uh, Facebook sellers so um, a, a customer would go to an agent which could even be like a local uh, a bank or a local convenience store they would send money to the seller who goes to pick it up at their local branch um, and then somehow the product will get sent sent to you do they have any large online retailers um, anything like an Amazon or even you know like the average sort of online shopping experience um, do you mean like an alternative to Amazon or something um, yeah because you've mentioned the combination of Facebook and Instagram, um, 
and that plus wing uh, is probably like eBay in practice. So I'm just wondering if they've got like online shopping. Well, it's all been a bit makeshift. Um, so that is the online shopping experience, and that's and that's uh, that's the issue really. I think um, Alibaba, the Chinese Amazon, you know, I or mm. or the Chinese eBay maybe. Um, I think that's a slightly more accessible to Cambodia, but I'm not entirely sure. But no, I mean the fact that they don't have these large giants or they don't have full access or haven't had full access um, that's where these kind of social media stores have popped up or why as well um, okay but I guess besides a lack of readily available giants like Amazon and PayPal um, another barrier to online business is the difficulty in obtaining visa debit or credit cards uh, because I know I tend not to use PayPal I would tend to use my um, my card but I'm not sure how it is right now in 2021 however a few years back some banks at least when I tried some banks required a minimum balance just for a visa debit and that's not even a credit card um, and most of them charged for the privilege of having one so I remember um, a couple of years back, I remember looking back into, um, sorry, I remember looking into getting a Visa debit card, you know, and that's, you know, you've got to have money on it to spend online. Um, but it just, um, it didn't seem worth it. There was so much red tape. It was so difficult. Um, it was almost like it didn't trust anyone, really. And okay, if you had a couple grand, then you'd be fine. But not everyone has a couple grand. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that has changed by now. And what if products don't arrive, is my question. Um, because a rich, young businesswoman from the province of Pailin, just a few weeks ago, she got, uh, she got arrested for failing to deliver almost a million dollars of items to buyers. But this wasn't just, you know, seven very expensive items. These were all, you know, small, small items to buyers. Um, and okay, she got arrested in the end. Um, but I think at the moment, if your product doesn't arrive, you have to go to the police and you have to hope that they've got time for it and hope that other, sorry, you would hope that it's happened to others from the same seller as well. Um, so I think there is still, I think there's there's room for improvements in how uh, online transactions are done. You know, the kind of the customer's promise and the and the seller's promise. But one thing I would yeah. really sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, just to say that um, if they're taking action in this case after a million dollars worth of um, small items weren't delivered then it's clear that it's you know not something that they're very active about and also just to go back to something from our very first episode which is where we looked at kind of honor and face i'm just wondering how bad reviews go down with cambodians or cambodian business owners 
because I'm not too sure whether they'd be accepted uh, so much. Um, and it, it would almost be like an insult, you know. I don't know um, how often people would give bad reviews. I don't know. But yeah. this is all something we can... Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we need to have a look into it for a later episode. But what I was going to say is what I would really like to see um, in the future for Cambodia is something like, I guess, the original eBay, which was where you would be able to sell your own stuff online as as uh, secondhand or, or used. You know, like I remember when eBay first started, I would be buying CD albums uh, uh, secondhand, you know, hoping that they don't come too scratched and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I just feel like the it doesn't seem to be much of a market in Cambodia for used stuff, and I I think that should be encouraged. Uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think we're hitting the uh, we're hitting the half an hour mark. That's enough for one podcast. Um, we'll be back soon enough. We aim to publish one podcast a month, so twelve a year. And, um, so please just uh, check back in about a month and we'll hopefully have something else up. And as always, if anything we say here is incorrect, especially with this uh, particular episode, please just get in touch if it's, uh, if it's annoyed you and we will correct ourselves and we'll give you credit. Um, and before we go, if you do like or appreciate the music in the background of each podcast, um, then please go listen Go listen further by searching for the artist name Ishk. That's I-S-H-Q. Um, he's a nice guy, and he's allowed us to use uh, any of his uh, any of his ambient music on our podcasts. And uh, yeah, I think it's worth supporting him. Yep, and his music's really good and very relaxing to listen to. It's great for podcasts. So. Uh, Take care and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening.